you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 178. Well, hi, guys. How are you this week? This week's topic is a common Google search that we found, and it seems like many of you are Googling tips on how not to parent. This doesn't surprise me because I've talked about this on the podcast before, and I just want everyone to realize it doesn't mean asking for the not to's instead of the how to's is really like it's part of our human condition where it's much easier to focus on what not to do rather than what to do. And I've heard this referred to as the human negativity bias. And it's it's like something that we have carried over. It's part of our primal wiring. So we're always scanning our environment for things that might feel unsafe or dangerous. And so we're always kind of looking for the negative, looking what we need to keep ourselves safe from. So that's why when our kids are running by a pool and we're like, don't run, don't run, instead of walking feet, walking feet, walking feet. It's so much easier to say what not to do rather than what to do. So I just wanted to kind of point out that you searching for what am I not supposed to be doing? Because at least if even though I don't know exactly what to do, like, let me just make sure that I'm not doing the terrible things. And the way to counteract that human negativity bias is through a lot of the learnings of positive psychology, which I incorporate into mastermind parenting, which I just think is so cool. I'm kind of obsessed with neuroscience and I have been for a very long time because I think it's just so amazing that we can actually create new habits that retrain the way that we communicate, retrain the way that we think. And Retraining ourselves is that old adage of like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's like, yeah, you can. You just have to practice a whole lot. So when you start to practice little things like focusing on what the behaviors you want rather than the behaviors you don't want, it doesn't come naturally. It seems so simple, right? Like it seems so simple and it doesn't come naturally. So you have to practice it. You have to practice, hey, walking feet, walking feet. Instead of don't talk over me, listening ears, you know, which might sound kind of hokey. And the more that you practice in these sort of teeny tiny ways, the better you'll get at it. And you'll start to focus on what do I want? What behavior do I actually want? See, so, so often what happens is, is we wait for things to go sideways. 
And one of my favorite examples was like a mom of an 18 month old. And she said, we're brushing his teeth. And then he wants to take the toothbrush with him all over the house. And it's dangerous. You know, it's dangerous. I mean, he's going to like run and he's just learning how to run and he's going to run and fall and stab his eye out. And every time we try to take the toothbrush away from him, it's like this huge meltdown. And so I love that simple example because I'm like, well, yeah, it's like y'all brush his teeth and he's like, this is a cool thing. This is a cool little weapon. Why do I have to only use it for teeth brushing? I want to use it all the time. And so I said, you know, what you really have to do is before it becomes the power struggle of after the toothbrushing and he's trying to hold on to it, you got to focus on the behavior you want when you're not in toothbrushing mode, right? Like you're in the bathroom and your little teeny tiny one is in there and you're like, there's the toothbrush. What do we use the toothbrush for? Brushing teeth, right? Where does the toothbrush live? That's right, right there. It's like, it's this proactive way of anything that's become a problem. Well, now we just need to use when we're not in the heat of the moment, times to reinforce the behavior we do want. The behavior we do want in that simple scenario is we want the toothbrush to just be used for toothbrushing and to live next to the sink or in the drawer or whatever. The toothbrush doesn't go all around the house. So we put the energy on that. And another simple example was like when my niece was 18 months old and her parents were saying that they had a bunch of dogs and she was constantly playing in the dog food. And so one day when she was over, I had like dog food. Uh, don't ask, you know, anybody that there's, look, if you're watching the video of this podcast, I have a sleeping dog behind me. I always have dogs around. So I had dog food, like a little bowl of dog food in my bathroom. And of course we were in my bathroom and she goes and she goes to start playing with the dog food. And so we're naturally, I wanted to say, no, 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 don't play with the dog food. Don't play with the dog food or don't touch the dog food. Dogs might bite you if you're touching their food. And plus it's gross, right? So I had to kind of like stop myself. And I saw her going towards the dog food. And I'm like, where does the dog food stay? Where's the dog food? What is the dog food for? That's right, feeding the doggy. Let's get the doggy and come and show the doggy the food. Do you touch the food? No, it's yucky. The dog food is for the dogs to eat. And so anyway, I gave her that little lesson. And then of course, like I turn my back and I see her going again over to the dog food or actually playing in it. And I was like, oh, oh, you forgot. Where does the dog food stay? That's right. In the dog food. Do you touch the dog? No, dog food's yucky. It's for the doggies to eat. That's right. Let's tell the doggy, here's your food. Point to it. Show the doggy where the food is. And so we did this a couple of times and she got it. That's the beauty of an 18 month old. And what happens though, when we didn't know to do these things, we were just constantly like whack-a-mole, putting out problems, putting, don't do that, stop doing that. And then all of a sudden we have a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old and they're just sort of doing whatever and waiting for us to admonish them. And we haven't practiced this skill, right? We haven't practiced the skill. We haven't practiced letting them know what our expectations are before things go sideways. So becoming a mastermind parent is, you know, in the simplest way, it's figuring out what do I want? Not just what don't I want? What do I want? Like if I have kids that are coming towards the teenage years and I want them not to take part in risky behaviors, I have 
kids that are now going to get cell phones and they're going into middle school or whatever age you give your kids a cell phone and they're going to want social media. Well, what do I want to happen? What am I scared of? And how do I want them to engage in these activities? And then putting your energy on the front end and talking about these things, right? That's becoming a family that can talk about all the things is, well, I'm going to give my kid this phone and how do I want them to engage with this phone, right? Like what are the rules? And so we put our energy on the front end, but first and foremost, we have to figure out what do we want to happen? What is the behavior we're hoping for? So then we have to take it a step further and communicate that with the people. And I know that this is like brick to the head, like, okay, that makes sense. But then why aren't we doing it? And we're not doing it, you guys, because of the human negativity bias, because we just don't think to until we start to practice this skill of focusing on the behaviors we want and then communicating it. So tips on how not to parent. Okay. I want to remind you, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's a really good one. And it talks about three different styles of parenting, authoritarian parenting, which is what I refer to as old school parenting, which is because I said so, right? Why can't I, because I said so it's done. Stop. Like your child, when they question what the reasons are behind a rule, you're not really interested in explaining the why behind it. Kids are really, I mean, they're actually so smart. They can get behind something, but when it just seems like some arbitrary rule and they don't really understand the why behind it, right? Like we want them not to engage on technology all the time or be on the screen all day, every day. Why? Why? It's really simple because it's not healthy, right? It's like, it's not healthy to eat only cookies and ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like we want them to be healthy. We want them to be safe and healthy. It's not healthy for their brains to be on screens all the time. So when we have a rule of only this much time when they're little on the iPad, or when you get a phone, this is the time the phone goes to sleep at night. And this is our rule of people come before technology. So when we're with other people, we're not going to have our faces in the screen. We're not going to have phones at the dinner table. We're not going to be on the phone for hours on end during the day because the phone can be a beautiful thing. I love my phone. And it's just like too much junk food, too much phone, not healthy. So we got to have some parameters around it. And there's nothing wrong with you that you're going to want to be on this thing all the time. They're super fun and they fill lots of moments of boredom and they can be addictive. I mean, for a reason, okay? They, they can be the source of a lot of pleasure or taking away a lot of bored moments in your life and too much of it is not safe and healthy for you. And when you're wanting to be on it all the time, there's nothing wrong with you because you're a teen, you're a tween, you're a teen, you're in the most impulsive stage of your whole life. And so, of course, you're going to want to be on it all the time. It's my job as your parent to make sure that we have some parameters around that so that we can keep it in check and it doesn't, you know, become an addiction for you. You don't, you know, your schoolwork doesn't suffer. Your relationships don't suffer because all you want to be on is your phone. That's not healthy, right? When we explain the why behind a rule, 
That's the difference between authoritarian and authoritative parenting. Okay. So authoritarian parenting is just, but why can't I do that? Because I said so. Are you the parent in this family? I didn't think so. When you're putting a roof over your head and paying the bills, then you can come up with your own rules. But for right now, I'm the one doing that. So stop asking me questions and just follow the rules. That's very authoritarian. Authoritative explains the why. Okay. So authoritarian focuses on obedience, you know, raising good little soldiers. And here's the thing. When you have a strong-willed one, authoritarian, they they fight you every which way, right? Like their strong spirit wants to understand the why. They want you to take the time to set them up for success and just explain your reasoning behind a rule. That's all. And so the strong-willed ones, they're not going to just do it because you said so. They're going to dig their heels in. And so then you get louder and scarier and there's a lot of power struggles and it gets ugly. Okay. That's what our strong-willed ones do. Our, as I like to say, our other children are easier temperaments. They make us look like really good parents. They're like good little soldiers. You know, other people might say, gosh, I wish my kids would listen like yours do. How can they just do all the things right? Or they're thinking that, you know, we look really good. But I promise you, everyone who is raised with authoritarian parenting will have to, well, they'll breathe the rebel when they become teenagers, or they'll wait till they're grown people and then have to undo the damage of that no choice, no explanation, because I said so parenting. And it might be that they don't even know what's going on with them, but they just are addicted to this or addicted to that because they were never encouraged to ask questions. They were never encouraged to express big feelings or dissent when something wasn't okay with them or they didn't understand something. And so they bottled it up and they bottled it up and they bottled it up. And then all of a sudden they find themselves needing to drink a bottle of wine every night or smoke that thing or overwork or over shop or over, over, over. See, so when we are authoritarian parents, we leave our kids with that damage to undo later. And that being said, I think most of us were raised with authoritarian parenting or many of us were, and our parents had the best of intentions. It's just that old school way was, it's your job as a parent to teach your kids right from wrong. It's you're not their friend, you're their parent. You don't have to explain things. So I think many authoritarian parents wasn't as mainstream to learn a different way. It was kids are going to screw up and do the wrong thing, and it's your job to punish them and basically inflict pain and suffering on them in some way, either emotional or physical, to teach them right from wrong. So most authoritarian parents, I think, just want to be good parents, and they think that's the way. But what we're saying here is, is mm, there's a new way. This authoritative way still 
understands, yes, you got to set expectations. Yes, you got to have rules in place and boundaries and you got to have consequences when humans make mistakes. The little humans are going to make lots of mistakes. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. We are going to hold them accountable. Absolutely. We're just not going to be jerks about it. We're not going to shame them, blame them, and do all the things, send them the messages that there's something wrong with them. They get to be imperfect little humans who are going to make mistakes and then need to be held accountable, and they can try again tomorrow. See, so it's a different way, but we have to take the time to learn how to do those things, how to be that authoritative parent. Because if you weren't raised that way, that's not what's going to come online for you naturally. I'm Randy Rubenstein, and this is the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where I share tips on how to solve any parenting problem. If you're in an absolute parenting shitstorm right now, I gotcha. Do this now. Go to our website at mastermindparenting.com and click on the live assessment button where you can schedule a live call to discuss your issue. My team is going to point you in the right direction, match you up with the best resource because we've been where you are and know that you want the tools that work ASAP. Don't worry, we got you. You can also go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash live dash assessment. That's live dash assessment. Get on our calendar right away. You will hook up with a live person to begin helping you immediately. I want y'all to remember that authoritarian parenting. Actually, it does kids a disservice in many ways. And the biggest disservice I think it does is that it doesn't get kids involved in the problem solving. If kids are never explained the why behind a rule, and if there's not this open dialogue, if they're constantly sent the messages that they're screwing up and they really disappointed you, And all kids want to please their parents, especially, you know, before the teenage years. So if you're constantly disappointed in them and hurts me more than it hurts you to have to do this, but this is the only way you're going to learn, it doesn't allow them to come to you and feel safe enough to come to you and to say, I screwed up. I don't know what to do. What do you think? What do you think I should do? And then you be the parent that's like, okay, yep, you did screw up, right? You did screw up. And what do you think? What do you think is the best way to fix this? Let me hear your thoughts. Well, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think first? Then I'll share some thoughts with you. But what do you think? And just let me say this you're a good kid. And I've been where you are. I've screwed up too. I get it. And everything's figure outable. So we'll we'll figure this out. You know, I appreciate that you're, you know, that you're a stand-up girl, you're a stand-up guy, and you're facing the fact that you made a mistake. That's that can be a really hard thing to do. It takes a lot of courage. And so I hope you feel proud of yourself. And And we'll figure this out. I'll help you. See, so then we're lending them our thinking brain. They feel safe to come to us. They don't have to be perfect. 
And then ultimately, they learn the skills of problem solving. And some of us are, I think, showing up wanting to be authoritative parents, wanting to know how to have those conversations, but we don't. And we just know we don't want to be the authoritarian parents. So quite often, what I see the most is permissive parenting, which is I set the rules, but then I don't actually enforce them, right? So people come and they're like, oh, yeah, I yeah, I should probably be more consistent. That lack of consistency is permissive parenting. So you may just be like, oh, they're good kids. You know what? I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to let it slide. So you may just kind of talk a lot about things, but you never get to the actually enforcing consequences part, which is not punishment, but it's consequences. So when your kid, you know, makes a mistake and it's a mistake they've continuously made, like let's say not getting up when their alarm goes off in the morning or not every single day you know, you've set them up for success of what they need to do to get out the door on time for school. And every single day, they don't have their stuff together or they're busy playing, they're busy doing something else. Well, guess what? It's time for a consequence. It might be a natural consequence. Like if your kid's not ready to to leave the house, I mean, the natural consequence might just be that you don't yell at them. They're just late. And when they're elementary age, you're like, I'll drive you to school. You're going to have to go to the principal's office and get your tardy note. And that's what happens when we're late, right? So the natural consequence might be going, getting the tardy slip. They have to do all that, going in and suffering the consequences at school for being tardy. Maybe your kid who is a teenager who is not getting up day after day when their alarm goes off, the consequence actually needs to be imposed by you. I mean, maybe they're going to be late to school, but who knows if they even care about that. And so you might need to take it a step further and put a consequence in to hold them accountable, which is you've been having a hard time getting up in the morning. So therefore, you're turning your technology in 30 minutes earlier for the rest of the week or until further notice until mornings run more smoothly again and you're able to be responsible. I think you're not getting enough sleep. I think you're staying up too late. So that's what we're going to do. And when you put that in place, guess what happens? Your kids, they're never going to be happy about it. But we don't have to shame them. We don't have to blame them. We just show up loving and firm. And I love you too much not to, to help you be successful. You're a teenager. Of course, you want to be on chatting with your friends and doing whatever, playing games online until whatever time. I get it. And that's not the way we roll. We got to try harder. We got to, we got to do better. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to help hold you accountable for that. Love you too much not to, right? So we got to learn some of these new, this new terminology, this new way to communicate with our kids, which is like, I believe in you and you're human and we'll do better. We'll do better. I think so often people want to be that authoritative parent that mastermind parent in charge of your own mind, right? Not making your kids responsible for how you feel. Here's a spoiler alert. They're never pushing your buttons. Never. 
They're not. You're in charge of your emotions. Kids are never in charge of an adult's emotion. So when you master your mind and you stay in your own lane and you deal with your own whatever's coming up for you, right? That's how kids actually, you set them up for success and you help hold them accountable and then they do better. Okay. So if you fall into that permissive parenting where you just are super lenient, you're not really good about the consistency, you're not holding them accountable, you're doing all the things for them. You have a case of being too good a parent, air quotes, because you just don't know how to handle a situation or what to do. There's nothing wrong with you. It just wasn't done this way for you. So it's going to take a minute to learn some new tools and practice this new way of communicating. And you'll get there. So what do you actually do to be a good parent, set your kids up for success? Look, you have to be willing to look in the mirror like your kids are holding up a mirror. So my biggest piece of advice for you guys is to master your own mind which takes a lot of bravery to look in that mirror, to see what is coming up for you when they didn't listen, when they didn't do the thing and you take it as disrespect and you make it into all these, you know, you feel ignored, you feel dismissed and saying, okay, my kid's a kid and they're living in the present moment and they're not responsible for how I'm feeling right now. Where did I receive the messages where I felt ignored, dismissed? I didn't have a voice. I was shut down right? Because it's really about that. And it's not fair for me to now take that, all those old wounds out on my kid. It's really not fair. So I got to face myself. So your kids are holding a mirror and having the courage to look in it and see your truth is really what your kids are here to help you see. It's hard. It's hard work. I say like parenting, I think is the ultimate self-help program because every single thing that drives us nuts that they're doing is just a puzzle piece of somewhere when we have the courage to get curious about it, some unhealed hurt from our own lives. And that's what they're here to teach us. So here's a scenario of a parent of a strong-willed kid that we grabbed off social media. My seven-year-old's throwing a complete screaming fit right now because she wants me to sleep with her. We have a big early day tomorrow. I need to get up early and she always hears me and won't go back to sleep if I sleep with her. And I just don't want to. I feel bad and so guilty. She does have a cold and she's not feeling 100%. I tried to compromise and tell her that I'll stay with her until she falls asleep. And if she wakes and needs me in the night, I'll come and stay. But she just keeps screaming until she gets her way. We believe our daughter has attachment issues too. So I have so much guilt. And sometimes I feel like she just needs me. And I just don't know if I should give in or stick to my boundary. What do you do with sleep issues like this? See, so this is just a case of a whole lot of permissive parenting. Permissive. And guess what? The child, because it's like, is this going to be a day mom's going to sleep with me or is this going to be a day she's not? I don't know. So it causes the kid to feel uncertain and a little dysregulated because, of course, this child is used to being soothed by mom, which sounds sweet and beautiful. 
And unfortunately, at seven years old, this child is like, but I don't feel well. I need you. I need you to soothe me back to sleep. I need you to be here all night. And this poor mom is like, I just don't want to. Like, I want to have that boundary. I want to get a good night's sleep. I have to get up early. I have a big day tomorrow. I have a big presentation, whatever it is. And this mom can't even get a break. I mean, like, really, I like to say from 8 p.m. to 7 a.m., that's adult time. That's when we recharge and replenish. So if you can't even get a good night's sleep because you don't know how to set that boundary and then follow through and ultimately help the child develop their own self-soothing strategies, which at seven, developmentally, it's time. It's time because you know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. Like what if all of a sudden all of this child's friends are going to sleepaway camp and this child's never learned how to fully sleep through the night because mom was always close by to be that human pacifier, right? So by constantly giving in and giving in and being so permissive because we waffled here and there, this child now doesn't have the skills and now they're like, well, I want to go, but I'm scared and I can't. And that undermines their confidence. So this is a child that's going to suffer for having low self-confidence because they don't even think they can go off and do certain things because what if, what if, what if I wake up in the middle of the night? What if I'm scared? What if I need you? How will I get back to sleep? This, this child now is going to have lagging skills. Not, they don't have the skill to soothe themselves back to sleep. So we ultimately handicap our kids when we're not consistent. So how would a mastermind parent handle this situation? We sleep train our kids, even a seven-year-old, and we'd understand it's going to take some time. And if you've been super inconsistent, the time to do it is not when you've got a sick kid in the heat of the moment. It's not to do it now. You got to do it on the front end. So what I would tell this mom is, is until your kid really understands why you're helping them to be able to sleep the whole night through, sick or not, in their own bed. I mean, you know, it'd be different if we have a child that's like deathly, deathly ill, but with a little bit of a cold, not feeling 100%. There's always a sniffle or this, or I had a long day or somebody hurt my feelings. There's always going to be a reason they're not 100%. But it's never going to work out when we try to just, you know, start something brand new when we're in that specific moment. So what I would say to this mom is, no, tonight, sleep with her. You know, sleep with your child tonight and start setting the tone for this conversation, this productive conversation you're going to be having about everyone learning how to sleep in their own bed the whole night through. That's how your family is going to run smoothly. So yeah, I'm going to sleep with you tonight. And I just want you to know, we're going to be having conversations starting tomorrow where we're going to come up with a plan that's going to help you and everyone in our family get a full night's sleep in their own beds. And so I just wanted to give you a little forewarning that that's coming. And tonight, yes, I'm going to sleep with you. Okay. Which sounds, oh, well, sounds like more inconsistency, but no, we have to show up respectfully. If we've trained our child for seven years that we're going to sleep with them a lot of the time and we've become their human pacifier, we can't just spring it on them tonight for the first time. 
This is the new deal. You're in your bed all night, period, end of story. It's just going to be a whole lot of drama. No, no, no. We have to slow it down and take some baby steps and establish what the new routine is going to be. And then it's going to be a series of steps and we're going to set them up for success. And we have to have a productive conversation at a non-relevant time, not at the moment for the first time when we're going to bed. So that's what I've got today. Um, I hope you got some good tips on not only how not to parent, but also how to become a mastermind parent. Okay. Have a great week. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs. And if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you. Um, And as always, we're on all the social channels under Mastermind Parenting. On Instagram, it's mastermind underscore parenting. Um, And, you know, periodically I do pop up on different Instagram lives, Facebook lives, where I give you teaching and coaching. And I love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better because when they feel better, they do better. And um, I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.